Amen. Jesus saves. And that's why we're here. Because of the power of his salvation, not so. We wouldn't be here. Let's pray one more time. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for laying down your life for people like us, for sinners like us. If it was not so, we wouldn't be here today. And now we can sing with confidence saying, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, because we, we know that is true in our lives. And we pray for souls that are still lost, that they too will come to know you, Christ, and have personal relationship with you. And would you help us to be in our doers of your word when you tell us to go we should go and have the burden in our hearts know that there are people out there who need to know that Jesus saves who need to experience the salvation who need to come to personal relationship with you God through your son Jesus Christ that we'll reach out to them and take the good news to them may each and every one of us see that as uh, our primary role to fulfill the great commission Thank you. We bless you with you. Continue to bless our times. Lord, I pray that uh, the limitation of my language, my tongue or accent or anything like that will not be a hindrance this morning as, we, as I share with your people. Lord, would you uh, interpret some of the things that I would say that they you know, are not able to hear well or understand. Lord, would you, your spirit, interpret to their hearts. We bless you. We praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It, it, it was a nice thing for me this morning, uh, the way this service was you know, started with a point of us greeting one another. That was one of the sweetest things. Oh, my goodness. I think in five years, this is the, in my five years experience here in, in the U.S., this is the first time uh, uh, I've had to you know, do that. I'm like, yes! <laughs> I literally wanted to go to everybody and just like hug everyone, but uh, you know, but uh, it's just a sweet thing. I mean, that's why we, we come together. It's not part of what we talked about this morning. It's a beautiful thing that we share love with one another. And so it's, it's amazing. So thank you for doing that, and uh, it's, it's a blessing. I, I believe it's a blessing to, to everyone here. It's a great fellowship time. So we talked about this morning <clears throat> about. Who remembers? I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> why we gather, right? We talked to why we gather. And now I'm going to turn our attention to uh, the misconception of worship. Every Sunday, all over the world, believers gather to worship. Boom, we're here. And everywhere else in the world, that has taken place. In Africa, it's hours and hours ago because some of... Eight or six or ten or nine hours ahead. So, but every Sunday morning, you know, people gather 
uh, to worship. But surprisingly, of all this, the spiritual disciplines, worship is one of the least that is understood. To many, worship is synonymous with music, hymns, or praise choruses. I think even as I grew up, that was when you talk about what worship is, it's singing, it's music. But in scripture, there are two groups of Hebrew and Greek terms that are related to worship, that explain what worship, or translated to worship. The first one is labor, or service. We talked about service this morning a little bit. And primarily, the term referred to the service offered to God by the priest in the tabernacle or the temple during the Old Testament times. And the second one is bowing down or bending the knees. So that's the interpretation of what worship uh, from Greek and Hebrew terms. Bowing down or bending our knees. That's paying homage, honoring the worth of someone. I want to tell us some, how this is done, honoring someone. Not God, honoring someone. I want to tell a little bit of this. Uh, I want to bring Uganda here, just a little tribe of Uganda here. We, we have a, a tribe in Uganda called Baganda. And the area they live in is Boganda and they speak Luganda. So you have Baganda in Boganda speaking Luganda in Uganda. <laughs> and so, and so the, this this, we still several of our uh, uh, districts. We still have kingdoms. We still have kingdoms where you know kings are honored, and, and in those particular tribes, kings are much more respected than even the president. So the king is given homage, is respected. Now this is what happens with Baganda culture. Whenever the king is is going to address the people. There's an occasion, let's say, here is the gathering, and the king is going to come sit here on the throne. And so he's going to uh, you know, walk in from, from that side. Everyone is going to have to stand up and, and do the bowing until he walks, until he sits here. But let me tell you an extreme of that. There will be men that will prostrate across here and, and, and lay down, and the king walks on their back until he arrives to his throne. Can you imagine that? So it would be like all the men here would have to lay down and he walks on their backs. They become his carpet and he walks to come and sit on the throne. He has several titles. One of them is called Sabasadja. If that's easy for you to say, but if not, don't worry. Saba Sajja means the, man, the only man over all men. He's the man you know, over man. He's called the Musota, means the deadly, deadly cobra. It's like he has the power to destroy, he has the power to bite and kill. He's called Magulunyondo, which is a the one whose knees are like hammer, strong like hammer. 
So they believe that he never weakens, he never gets weak, and he never dies. But we have graves of several of them. <laughs> so he never dies. And so when the king dies, they don't say that he's dead. They say he's asleep. He's going to sleep. They never ever say that the king died. Such a respect given to human being to that extreme that men will have to, you know, prostrate and he will have to walk over their backs. And that is a tradition. And some of the people in that tradition are practicing those traditions are Christians. They would do that and they would be in church. They would do that to men, to the human being, but they will not do that to God. They will never put their knees down for God. But they can put their knees for human being, prostrate, and let the man walk over their backs. Looking at these two terms, we can see that worship is a far different from entertainment. It's not that kind of entertainment. In worship, we are not to be passive, but to participate. It's like as we all sing, it was beautiful to hear everyone singing. Jesus saves, Jesus saves, Jesus saves. We participate. Worship is not about pleasing ourselves but it's about pleasing God. Now that comes, when we sing, what is the shape of my heart? What is the condition of my heart? In my heart, am I like, oh, Jesus saved. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for your grace. Even each song we sing, are we kind of, okay, you sing the line, but what is happening inside you? Are you responding to God? Even beyond the words we sing, say, where would I be? Do you know this song? I'm so glad that the Lord saved me. I'm so glad that the Lord saved me. If it had not been for Jesus, where would I be? I'm so glad that the Lord saved me. All right? Look what the Lord has done. I mean, like, simple, but just like a, a big reminder. Oh, we sing songs, we sing hymns, and just like, Lord, so grateful for your grace and mercy. Worship is both adoration and action. The scripture uses terms of the human, you know, uh, on the human level, referring to relationships among human beings. We serve one another. We honor one another. We looked at that this morning. But there is a special sense in which God alone is worthy of worship. The first of the Ten Commandments says, You shall have no other gods before me. We looked at that this morning. Exodus 20 verse 3. God is entitled to a unique honor that we cannot share with anyone else. The fifth commandment emphasizes honor your parents. It's an honor to the parents, which means that human beings also deserve honor, but the honor may not compare with the honor that we give God, that God deserves. The Ten Commandments are a covenant relationship between God and Israel. Through the covenant, God promises the Israelites to be his people and he be their God. He is to speak to them with a supreme authority and governing all the aspects of their lives. And their chief responsibility is to 
honor him above all things and to love him with all their hearts. Deuteronomy 6, 45 says, Hear, O Israel. If you want to take the Israel and put this church name there, or put your personal name there, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your strength. Christians, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your strength. This, this is a daily challenge for me. What fills my heart? What takes my energy? Do I love the Lord my God, my creator, my, my maker, the one who thought about me, the one who created, who formed me? Do I love him with all my heart, with all my strength, with all my passion? Do I have the passion for God? And we see Jesus reinforcing this commandment or this command in his teaching. Matthew chapter 6 verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. The question for us this morning, what or who is mastering you? What or who is mastering me? Is it money? Is it fame? Is it relationships? Is it poverty? Do we want to know one practical aspect of worship? It is the lifestyle you live on a daily basis. The lifestyle you live on a daily basis. We can read and memorize hundreds and thousands of definitions of worship from books and all that. But I want to promise us that all narrowed down to the life you live before God on a daily basis. And this raises a question for us. What or whom do we worship? I have a quote here from uh, a gentleman, Noel Du, says this. Worship is not an activity of life. It's not an activity of life, but it is the activity of life. Does that make sense? Worship is not an activity of life, but it is the activity of life. If we, we are born-again Christians, what Whatever we do, we saw in the scripture this morning, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. And that is the same thing being said here. It is not an activity that we say, okay, um, it's only in the evening that I'm going to worship. Some of us may not even think about this happening throughout the week until we come to church, then we're reminded, oh, I'm supposed to be worshiping God. So it's not an activity of life, but it is the activity of life. Whatever we do, that means God must be the driving force. Whether we go to school, for those of us who go to school, whether we work, we have duties at home, whatever we do, are we in surrender to God and let God direct our day? Every human being on the planet is a worshiper, true or false. 
True. I, I thought that everyone would say true, but some don't know. Let me, let me take a little more deeper. The question for us is this. Will we worship rightly? The truth is that we're all worshipers. Harold the Best is one of the you know, profound writers on, on worship materials, uh, worship for the church. And he says this. We, for as long as this world endures, everybody inhabiting it is bowing down and serving something or someone. An article, a person, an institute, an idea, a spirit, or God through Jesus Christ. Everyone is being shaped thereby and is growing up towards some measure of fullness, whether of righteousness or of, of evil. No one is exempt, and no one can wish to be. We are all worshippers. Louis Giggler says this, Worship is my response to what I value most. How do you know what you value? You follow the trail of your Sorry, I'm having a technical issue here. Probably. All right. How do you know what you value most? You follow the trail of your time, your money, your thoughts, and your energy. And that trail will lead you to a throne. And whatever or whoever is on that throne is who or what you worship. And that is true. On our, in, in our daily lives, Every day, every week, every month, every year. Psalm 115 says this. Verse 1 to 12. This is a very powerful reminder that we should take frequent inventory of, of our lives, of our hearts, where our hearts are aimed at. The beginning of the psalm simply reminds us that it's not about us. It's not about us. Says not to us, O Lord, but to your name give glory. Our God is in heavens, and he does all that he pleases. We just went through it. But the idols are what? Silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but cannot, eyes but cannot, ears but cannot. Noses but cannot. And then he says this. Those who make them become like. Now more deeper, he says, and so all who trust in them. Not only those who make them. By those who trust in them. You'd be like, oh, I've never made any golden calf. I've not made anything. Or what. But where is your trust? Where is your trust? Whom do you trust? In other words, you become what you worship. Our idols don't have to be silver or gold. Do they have to be necessarily silver or gold? No. 
Every person on the planet is a worshiper. And if we're being honest, we've aimed our worship and been shaped by things or philosophies or ideas that have dulled our response to the true and living God. So when we come to a moment of worship, we like Isaiah stand in front of the Holy God, in front of the Holy God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, whose glory fills the heavens and the earth. It's not just the sins of commission and omission that we confess, but it's the sin of aiming our worship and our heart's affection at things or people or objects that can never and will never satisfy our deepest longings. And then turn our hearts to the one, the only one, who satisfies the insatiable desires of the heart. We are all worshippers. The question is, whom am I worshipping? When I follow the trail of my life every single day, where does it lead me to? Who is, who is at the throne? When I wake up in the morning, what is the first thing that comes in my mind? Who is on the throne when I wake up in the morning? I had a time to talk with a worship uh, band yesterday, and this was one of the things we talked about. said, I did a little search with the, the youth especially, and just say, who controls your life? When you wake up in the, mon- in the morning, what is the first thing that comes in your mind? Several answers, but the most. The first thing I think about is my phone. Grab my phone. <laughs> Why? It's the world. You know now, we know the song, he's got the whole world. In his hand is God. It used to be we sang to God, but now it's us. We got the whole world in our hands, you know, with the phone, you know, the iPad, whatever, internet connection, everything is here. We reach friends. It doesn't matter how far they are, you know, the charts that are going on at night. And so we want to wake up in the morning and see who, who said the last thing. What did she say? What did he say? And all that, you know, did I receive emails at night? You didn't send but you are thinking about receiving and all that. And so, wake up in the morning. What is the first thing in your mind? Who is on the throne? That should be the question. When we wake up in the morning, who is on the throne? I want to discuss a few things from a gentleman, Robert Weber, on what is worship. He says this, worship is the gospel in motion. This it just like unfolded so much for me. Worship is the gospel in motion. Worship is the action that brings the Christ event into the experience of the community gathered in the name of Jesus. And so doing, worship then does this, recapitulates or repeats the Christ event. In worship, we sum up events in history that constitute the source of the church's salvation. We rehearse the gospel story, the creation, the fall, 
incarnation, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ, and the consummation of all things. You look at what, that's what, when we gather, we are repeating that. We're repeating the, the, that event. Therefore, our worship, whether baptism, preaching, music, communion, etc., proclaims the Christ and his saving reality again and again. That means if we come to church and we're not reminded of any of those things, we've missed the point. This recapitulation takes place in three levels. One, in heaven. Secondly, on earth. And thirdly, in the heart. In heaven, which occurs in in the everlasting worship of the Father because of the works of the Son. In 1 John 3.8 and Romans 5.10, we see that Jesus served the Father by destroying the works of the devil and reconciled the Creator with His creation through His death. This offering is His once and for all sacrifice in which He has made perfect those who are being made holy. That's what Hebrews 10.14 would say. And for this reason, the heavens ring with glorious worship. Glorious worship. We have two witnesses of that, Isaiah and John. Isaiah 6 and John 14. We'll look at one of them a little later towards the end. The second one, on earth. And so our worship on earth is like heavenly worship in the sense that it centers on Christ Jesus and his work. That one unrepeatable, that, that one unrepeatable event in history is made real again and again through the power of the Holy Spirit that confronts us with the reality of the new life in Christ Jesus. Amen. How about in the heart? The third aspect of recapitulation is concerned with making certain that what happens in, in heaven and on earth deeply happens in the heart of believer. The relationship between the eternal and the internal must never be neglected in worship. The worship that happens eternally, what is happening in heaven? Is it happening in my heart? Am I worshiping God, joining the creation, joining the angels above in worship? Am I honoring God? Even if I'm standing, but in my heart, am I actually, am I actually, my knees are broken, am I actually on my knees? In other words, what we do externally should signify what is happening internally. Are you consumed with the joy of God's salvation? Are you consumed with the joy of God's salvation? Certainly, yes. But do we express that in worship? Do we express that in worship? We saw earlier on that worship is activity. Now we have to be active, involved. 
But if this is the problem I have with, you know, uh, with beautiful believers and all over the world. Someone says, I am so glad. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Say, I am so glad. But on their face, you don't see it. Right? So can we see that joy, the joy of God's salvation in our worship? Are we filled with a sense of awe to God? And God is awesome. Are we filled with that? But is that something we can express in worship? I say these things, I, I'm not meaning, I, I'm not trying to drive you to a meaningless you know, emotionalism. But the fact that what you are filled with overflows. When we're talking about the overflow of the joy of salvation, we know what overflow is. If I had a, a 10 gallon uh, container with water and I have a 3 you know, liter uh, gallon of uh, maybe empty gallon and fill this with a source that has more and it fills it up and continue to pour it in. What happens? This one gets full and does what? Begins to overflow. And it flows, overflows everywhere. And so sometimes I picture that in, in, in our Christian life. If, if, we are, if we are so excited, if we are overjoyed with the salvation of God, that is actually what should be driving us to say, oh, I need, to, I need to share this with other people. I need to reach out. I need to go and, and share this joy with other people. I mean, who of us is happy of something and you just keep it to yourself? We receive gifts. We want the whole world to know. We put on Facebook. Not so. Your husband does something for you special. Your wife does something. Your son or your father, whoever does something for you, it's on Facebook. But how many, how many of us actually post stuff like the joy of the Lord being our strength every day? Rapidly, rapidly like the way we do post other stuff. The experience of worship as a recapitulation of Christ's event brings heaven and earth and the believer together in a single hall. The church joins in that great chorus of voices to offer praise to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. And this action, church is actualized. The church is actualized. What does it mean? Worship actualizes the church. We look at a great example of the congregation of Israel at Mount Sinai. Here Israel through, Israel, through the, the covenant became the people of God. They were the assembly saved from Egypt. And they became the assembly of God. And the special characteristics of this assembly is worship. Therefore, worship actualizes the church and becomes the means through which Christ, the head of the church, becomes present to his body. We should never deny the physical side of the spiritual communication, where through the action of worship, the triumphant presence of the risen Lord is actualized and the anticipation of his bodily return is celebrated. Amen. Worship also anticipates the kingdom. 
Worship expresses the tension between the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his return. We celebrate the triumph, the triumph of Christ over the power of sin and death. Yes, but we also know that the power of sin has not yet been destroyed in totality. There is still sin. There is still death. Therefore, listen to this. In worship, we raise a prophetic voice against the powers and express our hope in the future where we through Christ shall triumph over sin and death. We have a hope. Sin still reigns and, 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 and death still. But that's not going to be forever. Time is coming. And so when we sing, we are proclaiming the truth. Amen. The last thing I will share on. Worship is a response to God's revelation. Worship is a response to God's revelation. God speaks or reveals himself and we respond. That's why scripture is read to us. So the rhythm is constant. God speaks, we respond. God speaks, we respond. God speaks, we respond. Constantly, from, from the time of creation. That is what it is. We only need to realize it. God is always at work around you. He is always pursuing a personal relationship with you. He is always inviting you to be involved with him in his work. He is always speaking by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, prayer, circumstances, and through the church to reveal himself, his purpose, and his ways. The question is, how are we responding to God revealing himself to us? How do we respond to him? It is at that point of responding that we either get it or we miss it. One quote from John Stott he says, all true worship is a response to the self-revelation of God in Christ and Scripture and arises from our reflection on who he is and what he has done. The worship of God is evoked, informed, and inspired by the vision of God. The true knowledge of God will always lead us to worship. The true knowledge of God will always lead us to worship. Today, God reveals himself to us primarily through his word, the Bible, the scripture. The question is, how do you respond to him? Do we actively take his word seriously and do what he tells us to do? Let's say, when we read the Bible, we come through passages that is plainly telling you about confession. There is something you need to confess. How do you respond to that? Do we confess? Or we flip that page, go to something else. The word of God, you know, strikes you and tells you you need to forgive somebody who has wronged you. Do we embrace that? Do we run to that and say, I need to forgive for my heart? How about the Bible tells us to love one another? Do we truly love one another? 
Friends, this part of it is, it's like when we come together, looks like we love each other and all that. How about when we are, when we're not sitting here, when we're outside this building, does that love still continue? Our personal lives, do we pray? I said this before, but I, I just feel it's, it's the biggest burden for me, personally. And I feel it's, it's an issue for, for us as a church. Is there any moment? Let me ask, what is the last time? When was the last time? We honestly, you honest, personally, just in your room, fall down on your knees and pray to God. It's not necessarily the issue of the posture, but being on our knees is just a humbling thing. It's very humbling. You can pray while you're seated, no problem. You can pray while you're walking, no problem. You can pray you lie down, you know, face up, no problem. I'm not saying any of those is, is the wrong method, no. But friends, there is something special with putting your knees down before God. There is something very humbling when your knees just go before God. Whether you're thanking him, whether you're confessing sins, or forgiving someone, and whatever you do, praying to God, talking to God on your knees is just an amazing thing. Do you guys know the song, How Long Has It Been? It's an old hymn. I learned it like a year ago. I was like, what? <laughs> the content of that, how long has it been? Since you, you, you knelt by your bed, I was like, uh-oh. You know, when was the last time I did it? And, and God, is, God is there seeing our hearts in, in that shape. Even if you're standing, even if you're walking, what is the posture, what is the condition of your heart? Is it, are you walking, you're praying, but are you as if you are on your knees? I want us to see an example as I end with Isaiah chapter 6. A common story, we all know it. We've heard of it again and again and again. Isaiah 6, I want to read that quickly for us. Isaiah chapter 6, from verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings, with the two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold trembled, and the voice of him who, who called out with the trumpet, sorry, with the temple was filled with the smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the, the King, the Lord of hosts. 
Then the one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the, from the altar with the tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Wow. Such an ex- amazing experience. Now, Isaiah, Isaiah sees God, the glory of God. He did not respond this way. He didn't go like, oh, I've sinned. He's holy. And, and he goes this way and covers himself. What is Isaiah's response here? Isaiah sees the glory of God and he sees himself a reflection, the opposite reflection of what the glory of God is. He sees himself as the sinner. God is holy. I am sinful. That's what he sees. And he responds to that. What is his response? I am a man of unclean lips. Very, very specific. Do you know how I'm challenged out of that? This is how I would confess. Lord, I am a sinner. Would you forgive me of all my sins? Everything I have done, would you forgive me of them? Just generalize. Because of being afraid to mention to God specific thing that you know is your struggle. It's just you and God. But even to mention that to God becomes an issue. Just say, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sins. But Isaiah didn't say that. He said, he mentions. He says, I'm a man of what? Unclean lips. And because of that, the angel comes and does exactly what he is, confessed. And does what? Touches his lips. And he says, behold, your sins are forgiven. And then later on, God says, whom shall I send? What does Isaiah say? Here I am. Send me. He didn't just like... He uses the same lips that, that, was, that was ungodly, that was full of sin, but now transformed, cleaned, and now he uses the lips and says, here I am. Send me. So he's ready to go. Look at such such a response to God. Friends, this is it for us as church. What is our, how do we respond to God, to God's revelation of who he is? We, We can't wait for anything mysterious to happen to say, oh, I saw the glory of God. He It's not what we're looking for. You come to church, God's word is being read to you. God's word is being preached. God's word is being sung. But what is our response? To some of us, that stays here. We go out of that building. We continue the rest of our day. Worship happened at church. The scripture reading was at church. The prayer was done at church. Nothing continues from here. We go out. We continue our lives on our own. We fail to respond. 
when we come to church, the word of God is spoken to us. Our response to what God has spoken to us on a Sunday morning is what is going to carry us throughout the week. We should be responding to what God has spoken to us throughout the week. And we come back. We fellowship. God speaks. We continue responding to his word. And that is on and on again and again and again, the recapitulation. Repeating that, repeating that. We come energies, we come hungry, we come hungry, but we go out filled. We go refreshed, we go energized, and to live our lives for God and live in purity, walk with Christ, hunger for His Word, hunger to be a friend to Him in prayer and, and be in a growing relationship with Him and be filled with a joy and let that joy overflow and, and we inspire to tell that to others. Young people in school, do we live our lives worth of the gospel? That other, other young people can see us and they can tell the difference. Can we share with them about Christ? How about at our jobs? Are we bold to share about Christ? It's a little unfortunate that this country, you know, when, when, we, came, when we came in here about four years ago, I was shocked for the first time in life that you can't talk about God in school. You can't talk about Christ in school. It's like, what? And this has been my pain throughout these four years, close to five now. My wife isn't, she didn't get the opportunity to go to school that much. So she's not able to handle our kids with education from certain level. The younger ones that she can. But from grade five, six going forward, she's just, she just unable to do it. And so all our kids have to go to school, public school. Oh, my goodness. The pain I have as a father every day is to watch my kids. I put them on the bus, watch Sending them to the world. Most painful thing for me. Me and, and, and my wife, I and my wife, we are protected. We're the ones that know God more than our kids. We are the most protected. I go to seminary, I'm protected. My wife goes to, you know, women fellowships and all that. Wherever we go, we are spiritually Protected. But we send our children to where there's no any spiritual you know, uh, uh, coverage. That has been very difficult for me. But I've been encouraging my son. He is in, uh, in eighth grade now. And just every day I made a commitment. It doesn't matter how, what time I slept. Every day I must be up for him, wake him up, get him ready, and we spend minimum 30 minutes before his bus takes him. In the car, we have to pray together, we have to read the scriptures together, we have to talk together, I have to prepare him, prepare his heart, and say, you're going to face the world, you're going to face this today. How are you going to live your life for Christ? Today matters a lot. 
when temptations of, of doing this, and you're going to be feeling lonely. When other kids say stuff that you know you're not supposed to participate in, you're going to feel lonely. That's okay, son. And so I have to do that every day, every day. I don't miss a single day. I have to. Friends, how do we live our lives in a community that does not believe in Christ? I was, my heart was so much encouraged yesterday. Listen from, from Jessica. You know, she, she was very open and said, my job is really, really, really hard. I mean, I can tell she's at a point of where she would just literally need to leave that, look for something else to do. But she said one thing. It's very impressive. She said, my joy is in the, in the relationships that I'm having with those students. Relationships for who? For Christ. The opportunity to build the relationships for Christ with those children. I think that's why, why I'm still hanging there. That's why I'm there. At night I did pray for her. It's Lord, strengthen. That's what we need. The world we live in may be difficult, but we need the strength of God. Just keep carrying on. Keep carrying on. Keep carrying on. Friends, let's respond to our creator, our maker in worship. Praise the Lord.